Hey, I'm Dr. Laura Berman, a sex and relationship therapist. And for the past three decades, I've been helping people learn how to love and be loved better. That's what we're doing here on The Language of Love, where I get to answer calls and emails from people just like you. My goal with The Language of Love is to help you discover more meaningful, emotional, and physical intimacy, and to help you build more awareness of how precious and sacred your sexuality really is. Be sure to email me or reach out with your very own love-sex relationship questions, and I might just answer them live on the air. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. I'm going to start off with a question. You know, you talk about this cocoon that we've been in, and as we look forward, and let's face it, there's going to be a lot of emotions that we all feel as a result of this last year. I mean, it's been a traumatic experience. Yeah. And so every one of us, every one yeah. of us, I don't care how old you are, no matter who you are. So from a love and relationship standpoint, what should we be thinking about to make sure that we show up in a way that will allow us to thrive in an environment yeah. that we may be in a new type of environment? I'm going through it with everyone, right? So it's not like I'm some, uh, the only thing that makes me an expert is that I think about this a lot more deeply and I have kind of an umbrella or meta perspective on it just from my training and experience, but I'm sort of going through it with you. But what I have, I've thought a lot about this and, you know, and talked to tons of people about it. And there are certain themes, like for instance, those of us who had really, really busy lives before this, you know, pre-COVID, tons of social stuff happening, tons of networking, tons of friends, all, you know, like a circle of, I don't know, X number of people, large social circle, and then it just kind of gets shut down. And at first that was sort of traumatic, but now going back out, I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, and I agree, like, I don't think we need to focus on going, quote unquote, back to normal. I think it's about thinking about what kind of normal you want to create. So for that person that, like I was referring to, had that huge network, realize that he or she was actually just as happy and in fact, maybe had an even richer connection with the five people that ended up in their bubble during this time. What I think most of us have realized at a fundamental level, especially if we're talking about love and relationships, all kinds of relationships, is that what we all need more than anything else is connection. Is connection. And, and that starts with connection to ourselves, to our own hearts, to our own souls, to our own integrity, getting clear on less going backwards and more like from this place of when I couldn't go out, I had to go in. You know, I probably, every one of us, as you said, has been traumatized in some way or another. Every one of us has grieved some of us more than others, but we've either lost a job or income or a loved one or illness or moving or relationships or whatever. And so I think we have to just move slowly and carefully and mindfully forward rather than rushing to like balls to the wall <laughs> back to where we were. Well, and you said it, we can't expect to go back to quote unquote normal. I think that's probably never going to happen. It won't be back to what it was. It will be what it will be in the future. Yeah. So the love new normal. the new normal. Exactly. All right, well, we let, get to design it. That's right. And that's a beautiful proposition is that we control, we write the next chapter of our story collectively as humanity, as well as individually as a person, we, we write our next chapter. This is Rachel Dorsey speaking. So Dr. Berman, as 
people come back post-pandemic, how are you anticipating the nature by which they choose to have sex with each other? How do you anticipate that that is going to shift from pre-pandemic? And it's not only pre and post, it's also during, right? So we went from many of us from feast to famine, especially what I was seeing happening for years, obviously, leading up to this is tons and tons and tons of, you know, lots of booty calls and friends with benefits, especially, you know, in the under 35ers, just a real struggle to commit. And that makes sense to me the way the world has been with so much divorce and so many of the under under 35ers coming from families that had really toxic relationships or divorces. So it all makes sense to me that we were kind of avoiding commitment and focusing on sex and many of us wishing for more. And then it went to total shutdown, right? And no relationship and no sex other than virtual. And now we're kind of getting back out. And it's along the lines of of what I've been talking about with post-COVID in terms of what I think the landscape is clear for what do you want to be the new normal is really going to be the question. I think I'm, I'm seeing a lot on the dating apps uh, vax talk, you know, there's sort of, I'm vaccinated, you know, I'm safe, I can, uh, and then there's others who don't want the vaccine. And I've had that question a lot from folks who don't yet want the vaccine or don't want the vaccine at all. And are like, is this going to make it so I can't, no one wants to date me on those dating sites. So I think there's going to be a lot of interesting questions that none of us have really thought about before. And what I'm also noticing is a trend during this time, which is what I think for lots of people been a soul searching time, is that people really want that connection. So, and, you know, they're also horny and want to get laid. So both are true, you know, but I think there's going to be more and more of a focus on connection. What do you think, Rachel? You know, I'll say I'm so far out of the loop of the dating scene. I've been <laughs> I've been happily married for coming up on nine years and completely missed the online dating thing completely. So I've always found it to be so interesting. I have family members and close friends who, you know, met lots of booty calls on the internet and then met their spouse on the internet. And I think that what is interesting to me, what really stands out to me is really what you were saying, how, you know, the safe sex talk, the, are you tested? Are you tested has turned to, are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Yes. And that Um, doesn't mean like you should say, are you vaccinated? And are you tested? Right. (laughs) Still you totally. So don't, don't lose sight of the other stuff just because you're worried about, about uh, COVID. But yeah, thanks for that question, Rachel. This is Brendan Kumarasamian. So my question for you this week, Laura, is you have a great Instagram post about the ways and how we can become more intimate with our partner, especially if that partner happens to be a female. And you add a couple of great tips like chore play, which is <laughs> helping them ensure that they have more energy. You also talk about having diff- having sex at different times during the day, yeah. having weekly date nights. We'd love for you to just comment on some of those tips for the benefit of the group. So yeah, you know, that was, I got some people saying, well, what about men with low libido? I will be covering that too. And, you know, when I talk about women with low libido, really what I mean is the feminine with low libido, because you don't have to be male or female to be in this energy. But I do find that there's a feminine approach to sex and libido and a masculine one, and they kind of operate differently and they have different needs. And the feminine, you know, is a real multitasker. And so, you know, this is why 
if we're talking about women, a lot longer or someone who's in that more feminine energy, a lot longer to get aroused at the end of the day. A lot more is on their mind if they're worried about whether the window is closed or whether the doors are locked or how they're going to deal with their boss the next day. It's really hard to kind of quiet the mind. And one of the things that has been found in numerous studies is this chore play thing that when a partner helps with the chores, cleaning the house, organizing things, takes things off her plate, it does a couple of things. One, it gives her less to do and she's less stressed and has less on her mind. But also there's a psychological relational impact in that she feels like her partner really gets it and gets that the nest is important to her. And even if they don't understand why the kitchen needs to be cleaned before they go to bed, their partner participates in it anyway, you know, and is supportive and and so creates room for that, which allows her to kind of quiet her mind. And I think that's the most important predictor in a woman's ability to get into sex and get in the mood for it is to have that quieter mind, take a bath, meditate, take some time off, let your partner put the kids to bed while you chill rather than doing more things on your to-do list. And then in terms of scheduling sex, is really important, especially if you have really busy lives and unquestionably if you have kids, because sex does not happen spontaneously when you have kids at home. And I find in particular for the feminine, being able to predict those times, create space for that, be ready for it emotionally, psychologically, energetically is really helpful as well. And also, you know, there's the biological part of getting the the research shows that for the over 59ers, something like a 30% of women have low libido. And that was a study done several years ago. I would venture to say that if they updated that study, it would be even, it would be just as high or higher in the under 59ers because what we know is that women handle stress very differently than men biologically, not to mention emotionally. And when we're chronically stressed, which I would say almost every woman in this country has been in one way or another over the past year our oxytocin levels rise. That's the chemical of attachment that, you know, breastfeeding mothers release to bond them to their babies. It's the bonding chemical that our, you know, gets released through our brain. But when we're chronically stressed, we get really high levels of oxytocin, but that lowers our testosterone levels, which is the hormone of desire or technically the the testosterone circulating around our body. It binds it up. So the more stressed we are, the less in the mood for sex we are in general because we're stressed and distracted by that, but also chemically it has an impact. So the more she can manage her stress and her partner can help her limit the stress or diminish the stressors in her life, the more room for libido she has. Love that, Laura. Thanks so much for answering the question. It's always great to see you. Thank you. All right. We have Theano now. I'm in the dating scene myself right now recently. And, you know, the one thing I notice is it really forces you to show up more authentically because you have to have more of those honest conversations Mm -hmm. and really break through the barriers of the insecurities of, oh, are they going to like me? Am I going to be accepted? It's like, well, do I love and accept in my clear in what I value and what's important to me? And does that align to that person I'm now talking to and trusting that process? So that part, you know, I find in the dating scene is really, it offers an opportunity to be more expansive in your full expression of who you truly are. 
And then when you're talking about men and women, about women being very task oriented, you know, it's absolutely so true. Like men are focused on the results and women are Mm -hmm. focused on the tasks. So when they're in the bedroom, those two mindsets. They can be very goal oriented and we're all, you know, the multitasking mind is a gift most of the time, except in the bedroom. So I always say foreplay begins from the last orgasm. So I was laughing, giggling when you were saying all these little things that when you ask your partner to do them or when they do them, and if they see it more as just antidotal foreplay, because this is what softens the feminine, this is what allows her to open and start being receptive. So you're already in the game just by doing these little things. Yeah, absolutely. When we understand the woman's anatomy of like, it takes at least... 20 to 40 minutes to reach full engorgement, right, of the erectile tissue. So if a partner helping to understand that, the slower you go, the faster you get there, you know, take all these (laughs) pieces throughout the day and then go really slow. You'll be amazed at just how responsive, because it allows her to get into her body. I think that's something that men out there, because they work so differently, you know, I always say that if men are a microwave oven, women are a slow burning stove, you know, they can get from zero to 60 pretty easily. And so it doesn't really register or make sense to them that, you know, helping around the house or not doing something directly, physically stimulating of her body is going to stimulate her. But it does, not in that direct sexual way, but in an emotional way. And for all of us, our main sexual organ is between our ears. But I think especially for women, you know, one of the ways that I stealthily trained my husband when we first got married, and I meant it, I wasn't misleading him. I was just conscious about articulating it. Whenever he would do something like that, that felt really supportive or helpful or made me feel really close to him, I would say, oh, you're making my uterus contract. And, you know, that would be the feedback for him, which, of course, he liked the idea of. And, you know, he'd do more of it. Yeah. And it's also understanding, like I say, it's so important to do like there's so many different types of intimacy, like the mental, the emotional, the physical and the spiritual and the sexual. So when we're focusing on connection, you know, which you mentioned earlier, it's like even in the mental, like, are we allowing each other's point of view? Are we allowing holding space for the different perspectives and still coming back to love through the differences? Are we, you know, brushing, you know, our partner's shoulder or squeezing their butt or giving them the peck throughout the day? Even, you know, like, are we meditating or going for walks together to get that spiritual side? And even in, you know, the sexual, like the depths do, how long are we having sex? What's the depth of it? What's the connection in it? Do we talk about our wants and needs and desires through it? So all these things, when you say about connection, it's allowing ourselves to look at what else can it look like besides the bedroom? So absolutely. The the most successful relationships and whole whole sexual relationships are those multifaceted ones. So thank you. Thank you for that. That was great. My name is Jen. I am from Seattle, Washington. I haven't had sex since last year. Okay. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're alone in that, sadly enough, but tell me more. But I don't want to have sex until I meet the one. (laughs) Okay. And so what's the problem? 
No, I want to have, I usually want to have sex, but <laughs> I decided that when I have sex too early, it causes attachment. Yes. And it does. in my brain, unhealthy because if there were like red flags, I, flags, I wouldn't see yes. those yes. red flags because I'm in this like euphoria state yes. of mind. Yes. So I'm going to do something differently because I don't want to have the same repeated patterns. I think that's and, really yeah. smart. So, you know, like Einstein says, doing the same thing and expect again and again, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And there are biological reasons for that. When all of us, whether we're male or female, when we have really good sex, especially with a good orgasm, our brains get washed with that same chemical of attachment, oxytocin. So it's that bonding chemical. Men typically have so much more testosterone that that kind of counteracts the bonding. They're not as light. They find it easier to have casual sex, especially good sex without getting bonded. You know, I can't tell you countless times I hear from women that even when they just are trying to have a one night stand with some guy they want to have sex with, but never want to see again, if it was a great night of sex, they're still bummed when he leaves the next day and doesn't ask for her number. So And I think you're absolutely right that when you're having good sex with someone, it muddies the clarity that you can see them, the lens through which you see them. It also makes you bonded before they really necessarily deserve your bonding. So I think if you're really looking, and I've said this before here, you know, if you're really looking for a long-term monogamous relationship, you want to say to that person that you've been talking to or gone on a few dates with that you know that there's chemistry with. You know, you say, listen, I just want you to know, I think you're really attractive. I I definitely feel chemistry with you, but I am someone that does not have sex until I'm clear that neither one of us want to date anyone else and, you know, really want to see what happens with a monogamous relationship. Or maybe you want to take it even further, like you said, and until I'm sure that I really think I want to spend the rest of my life with someone and I really know them, I don't want to have sex, right? It's up to you, but you want to set that expectation in the beginning. Because if you do set the expectation in the beginning, then first of all, you'll get rid of all the ones that are only looking for sex and really have all those red flags (laughs) that you wouldn't otherwise see. And the ones that are really looking for a relationship will stick around. So I think that's a good idea, Jen. I just want to take a little segue here and talk about an important issue that I find really affects women's lives and the people who love them. And it's something not talked about nearly enough. Millions of women, so many of them, struggle with chronic UTIs, urinary tract infections. And it can happen due to all sorts of reasons, menopause, pregnancy, other hormonal changes, other factors, but it can drastically and negatively impact your interest in sex as well as your enjoyment. And, you know, the most common prescriptions doctors will give you to avoid them is peeing after sex and lots of cranberry juice, which can help, but certainly often is not enough. And Euquora, this company I've discovered, has a UTI relief products that will help you address the UTI symptoms until you're able to go see a doctor. But they also have a proactive urinary tract um, health supplement line that helps you maintain a healthy urinary tract and avoid those infections. So get proactive about your urinary tract health with Eucora. And right now, Eucora is offering 20% off when you go to eucora.com slash love. But hurry, because it's a limited time offer. Go to Eucora.com 
uqrock.com slash love to get 20% off your order. That's uqrock.com slash love. I love that. My next question is, do you think people are made to be monogamous? Are we biologically? Yeah. Is that no, our nature? I think we're I think we're biologically programmed, at least from what all of the anthropology, you know, sexual anthropologists and archaeologists and the, you know, the evolutionary biologists have kind of proposed through their findings and research is that we're really more programmed for serial monogamy. So, you know, parabons, basically, if we're talking about evolution and biology, until the youngest child is around three years old. And that doesn't mean we should break up and monogamy should for life shouldn't exist. But when monogamy for life was created, we didn't live well past 50. You know, 50 was like the equivalent of 90 today. So, you know, when we're living monogamous for life, we're living, you know, a long time with one person. So it definitely takes it doesn't come naturally, but it doesn't mean it can't be done and can't be done successfully and fulfillingly and wonderfully and every other way. But from a biological perspective, we're really more programmed to have serially monogamous relationships. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. Thank you. This is Billy Salibi. I've been married almost 13 years. I'm about to celebrate my 13th wedding anniversary with my wife. And I know in listening to your show, knowing that there are, are some suggestions that you've given as far as like scheduling sex, which I thought was really interesting. I think that's a, a really good approach as you get on in years, the sex life definitely I've seen become less frequent. So my question yeah. is this though, I always seem to be the instigator of sex. So it's always yeah. me asking, Hey, you know, you know, whatever that may be, whatever that looks like. And, and normally where we've gravitated towards is it's, it's a conversation as opposed to it just sort of happening organically. I would love it for mm-hmm. it to just happen organically and just kind of become, go from foreplay to sex. And I've tried that and it seems less, uh, <laughs> less effective. <laughs> Let's just put it that yeah. way. And yeah. so my question is, what, what could I be doing to inspire my wife to be more of the instigator or put, yeah. you know, make that more so it's an equal, even if it's 70, 30, where I'm instigating right. 70% something. of the time, something, you I know? Yeah. I can't tell you how often I hear that from guys, which I, and I empathize so much with that because, you know, it shouldn't have to be male always instigating, especially in these longer term relationships. You want to feel desired as well and wanted as well. And how old is your youngest child? Or your- he's nine. We, yeah. So he, yeah. yeah, he's nine. Right, yeah. So, it's only so child. Yeah. So he's old enough and is, and that, I mean, he hasn't been that busy lately with COVID, but you know, I do find that when, when families have children, nine isn't as bad as a toddler, but there is, depending on how much of a tiger mama she is, meaning how many after school activities, enrichment things, yada, yada, she's focused on with the kid, but there's a real exhaustion there. And if she is in her 40s, which I assume she's in her late 30s or early 40s, right? If she, yeah, she's, yeah, we're the same age. She's, she's just turned 44. Yeah. And, and, and so the she, tired piece is a very important. I, what I've realized 
is that if I if I am going to suggest having sex, it's best to do it when she's not tired at yeah, the end of the do day. Do not do it when she's tired. Yes. Well, so that's the thing. There's this real exhaustion factor. If she's working all day and then dealing with the kid and the kid's life, and she also is in an age starting at around 38 or, or 35 and up, our testosterone levels are starting to decline. And that's that hormone of desire. So natural horniness is not really that much in play. It's more of an emotional desire than a physical one. And, you know, that can be addressed if she's a candidate for bioidentical or any kind of hormones, but I'm a fan of bioidentical hormones if if people are going to do it. But there's probably low energy, lots of, of stress, you know, if she's juggling a lot of things. And then both of those things obviously will not work in favor of sex. So I think it's really a conversation and a decision that the two of you have to make, like you were referring to. It's, this is a perfect example of why scheduling really helps. If you can get over the resistance to that, you can still get your initiation needs met. So let's say that it could be a different time every week. It doesn't have to be the same time, but let's say you know every Thursday morning, you're going to have sex. You know, you want to choose a time, not at the very, you know, not at 10 PM when she's going to be exhausted, right? Or Saturday at four, you're going to have sex or whatever. Then you set up a paradigm where you each, and this is what I would do with couples in my office, you know, among other things is that you, I would have them do this kind of scheduling. And then every other week you each kind of take responsibility. So let's say you're going to have sex every Saturday at four, the first Saturday you kind of set the stage, light candles, say, come on, honey, it's four o'clock, la, 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 lock the door, whatever it's going to be. And then the next Saturday, she kind of takes the lead. And so it's not really her just coming at you out of the blue, but it is a start where she's kind of taking more initiative. And what I found, especially with women like your wife in terms, I mean, I don't know her, but the kind of, per, the kind of scenario you're describing is that once they get going and actually have sex, they have a great time, they love it. And they say to themselves afterwards, hey, I should do this more often, you know, this was great. But it's just getting in the mode because they're feeling drained and tired and low desire and low energy. And, you know, they'd rather be taking a nap or doing something else on their to-do list. But they, it's not that they don't wanna be close to you. And I think the other thing that women don't understand about men is that while women, for the most part, achieve that sense of emotional closeness through quality time and cuddling and and investing in each other emotionally, men tend to get to that emotional connection through the physical act of sex. So she doesn't really understand that when she doesn't make herself sexually available to you, that she it's like you refusing to hold her hand or spend quality time with her. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, that makes a a ton of sense. And I'm glad you said it in the way you said it, because That leads me to a a follow-up, which is related. And that is ever since our son has been born, she's less inclined to want oral sex for me to go down on her. 
And it's, it's partially related, I think, to the fact that she had, you know, six miscarriages, which was very, very challenging and hard on, yeah. on you know, on her and, and both of us, but yeah. also that she had an emergency C-section, which is how our son was delivered. So I think the combination of those two things have been challenging. So do you have any advice or suggestions? Because I know she likes it, but she always feels just that it's, you know, she doesn't is want me to go there. She's self-conscious. Yeah. She She's so, just, you know, I don't I think it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why exactly. I think, I think she just, I think it is, I think it's, you hit the nail on the head. If, if I'm going to guess it's self-conscious, it's not wanting, you know, for me to be down there. Yeah. Well, that's not at all uncommon. I did a study many years ago because this, I'm kind of strangely obsessed with genital self-image because it really upsets me. I think it's because I spent so many years doing sex education in classrooms with younger, you know, with adolescents and stuff. And just the negative connotations, nicknames, allusions to a woman's genitals as compared to a male's is just astounding to me. And how many women have poor genital self-image. They're worried about how it looks. They're worried about how it smells. They're worried about... And even if you don't have concerns about that, there's something for women, especially those of us you know, who are pleasers by nature, there's something about laying back and receiving pleasure in that way that is fully focused on you that makes a lot of women self-conscious, which is really a shame. And so I think really understanding what it is that she is, you know, is it about the receiving? Is it about how she looks down there? Is it, you know, because once you understand what it is she's self-conscious about, you know, then you can attend to it, right? So if it's about how she looks down there, then, you know, you turn the lights off and you keep your eyes closed and whatever, you know, there's ways to get around it. If it's around receiving, then I find you know, that's a really important exercise. I, I met a woman not long ago who identifies as heterosexual, but she had, she also identifies as bisexual because she had one lesbian relationship in her 50s, I think it was. And it was a beautiful relationship. But she says that the thing that made it, that was most wonderful about the relationship is that she got over her phobia of receiving oral sex. Because when she saw like that, female partner really worked with her to fully receive. And she was finally able to recognize the gift that she was giving her partner when she was willing to receive orally. And it changed her future relationships with men because now she's like, you're lucky to be down there. You know, she's totally comfortable. <laughs> but, um, but I think sometimes you have to do it systematically. So, you know, you just let her relax and be fully present with receiving for two minutes, you know, and then five minutes and you like work. Cause once you haven't done it for a long time, it's, it kind of get, feels even more awkward. So sometimes you have to do, you know, that systematic, systematic desensitization thing. Right. But I think getting clear on what it is that she is concerned about and addressing it logistically would really help. Yeah, I think it's less the receiving and more, you know, the way it looks or the way it smells or something, you know, something along those lines. But that take she's... a shower, turn off the lights and let me just do this for three minutes. We'll set a timer if you want. And your job is just to close your eyes, be totally present in your body and you don't have to get aroused. You don't have to do anything, but just feel and let it be. And then we'll stop, you know, and you just like work with her to get more and more comfortable with it. And then eventually maybe you can turn on the lights and eventually, you know, but at first you're going to have to kind of help her 
get more and more comfortable with it if she's willing. And she obviously likes it, you said. So she just has to get over, you know, that's what pisses me off about all of these idiot surgeons and doctors and dermatologists and whoever that are doing these vaginal rejuvenation crap and all of this, because it just, it's unnecessary. Genitals look so different. There's so many different shapes, sizes, colors, shades. And, you know, we don't all look like these tucked in prepubescent little teeny weeny little closed rosebuds, right? Like there's all these different kinds of genitals. And I can't tell you how many women struggle with that, with genital self-image of one form or another. And it sounds like your wife does too. Yeah. And to be honest, she has nothing to worry about. I mean, like- She honest, has gorgeous genitals. Yeah. She, she, frankly, she does. So, yeah. but, but yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I think it's great advice to ease back into it. Turn off the lights. I think a shower. I think all of those things combined. I also really love the idea that you mentioned for my first question, which was, you know, once we schedule that time, kind of trade off who's the person sort of doing the, the setup, if you will, and creating the mood and the yeah. environment. And I think one thing we could probably do is, is, and I think this would go a long way because one of the reasons she fell in love with me is I was a lot more romantic back then than I yeah. admittedly am today. And so I think this will be a good challenge for me to flex that romantic muscle that I know I'm capable of doing and create something that will make a memorable experience where she goes, wow, that was amazing. And then I think that'll inspire her to do something similar when it's her turn. So wonderful advice. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, my name is Jewel. Okay, so I have two questions. My first question is going to be, do you think that it's necessary or would you recommend parents teach their child how to please, sexually please, you know, male or female, depending on, you know. Yeah. That's my question, my first question. Yeah, I think that is a wonderful gift and a very, to give your children and a very sad fact that few get it. I can tell you that I would take it even further, I would say, and I would say this is more true for daughters than sons, because sons, boys tend to kind of more readily figure it out on their own, because their stuff is out there, self-stimulation. But I do think for both boys and girls, teaching them, you don't have to give them, you know, person-to-person instruction, but giving them literature and normalizing self-stimulation and learning about their own pleasure and their own arousal and what, what the arousal process is like for them is a really important part of setting the foundation of a healthy sex life. And obviously you would do that, you know, when they're, you would start normal from the time they're babies and are touching themselves to make themselves go to sleep. You're not slapping their hand away. You're not making it a big deal. You just eventually tell them, listen, it's fine to touch yourself, but that it's your private part. You do that in private, not when company's over, not in the living room, but it's fine to go to your room to do that. You know, you just normalize it. And then as they start to go through adolescence, you teach them that it's normal to self-stimulate. It's a great way to release that energy that's building. It's normal. It's natural to learn about their arousal process. And then I can tell you, you know, I think every parent, it's different. I would say for my boys around the time that they started 
first I was clear they all identified, at least so far, as heterosexual. So I was focused on them pleasing women. Um, and we talked a lot all the way through, I mean, from the time they were little about consent, you know, and putting in those teachable moments wherever I could, you know, no, she doesn't want to be hugged. So what do you do when someone says they don't want to hug? You don't know, you know, from the time they were little, but around the time they turned 15, 16, started like dating girls and, you know, making out with girls or whatever. And every kid was different. Like my oldest son was very, uh, was not at all with girls, like very shy. So I didn't give him any information really about how to please women until he left for college. But my other sons were a lot more active. So I gave them books on how to please a woman, you know, just recently. And I gave them my book, uh, Loving Sex, which was is sort of like a guide to sexually pleasing men and women. And I also gave them one of my favorites, guys really like it, this book by a woman named Lou Paget called uh, How to Give Her Absolute Pleasure, which is very, it's got all sorts of diagrams and drawings of like 10 different ways to manually stimulate her, 10 different ways to <laughs> orally stimulate her so that they like the instruction element to it. And then another great one is by a guy named Ian Kerner called She Comes First. That's a good one, too. But that you really have to read. So my oldest son really liked that. But the younger ones, you know, are more into the picture books <laughs> and the quick diagrams. So you got to kind of know their personality. But I do think it's really valuable to teach them. And the same thing is true. Like when I do sex education in schools, I insist on boys and girls being together for almost all of it. Not because we're talking about the ins and outs of orgasms and how to please each other, but because I think it's really important for all genders to understand the sexual anatomy, physiology, and process of both genders, you know, of all anatomies, not just their own. See what I mean, Deli Bean? I definitely do. I actually don't have any kids, um, but I was asking because growing up, my mother did not have that conversation with me with the birds and the bees and, you know, all those different things. I started late in life when it came to having sex as far as losing my virginity. I grew up knowing, you know, I was very, I was Christian as far mm -hmm. as I grew up in, like in the Christian household. So it was very like, you know, you have to wait till you get married. So that's what yeah. I planned to do until I went to college. And then when I went to college, I got kind of buck wild. And I was at the point where it was like, let me go ahead and just do it, see what the hype's about. And I was basically like, just trying to get it out of the way. Yeah. Any sense. And it was kind of like I was practicing. So I, you know, I had my little whole phase where I was just, you know, practicing and trying to like try different things. I'm 30 years old now. And I'm now in a relationship where I feel like I want to explore a little bit more because, Dr. Laura, I've never had an orgasm, okay? I've faked a couple orgasms. Yeah. I watched a couple movies to teach me how to fake them, you know? But um, I'm in a relationship now where I feel like I'm ready to explore, like, you know, as far as, like, I'm more comfortable. Well, can you can sense. you do it by yourself? Um, <laughs> That's a no. Okay, so this is the problem. No. All right, so, so here's the thing. Is, Let me a, just tell you. question, though. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. What's the question? So this is my question is, um, so now we're exploring with toys, right? Because yeah. he's, he's saying that that might be like what I need. Yeah. So we got some toys and honestly, Dr. Laura, I don't know how to let go because every time it's just too much. You know what I mean? It's just too yeah. much. It's too much. Well, that's why I'm saying. Yeah. So here's what I, here's what I would say. And I, you know, I, 
this is one of the most common questions I get from women in your scenario of growing up with a really restrictive education around sex and guilt and shame and undercurrent. It's hard to turn on that switch. Now you're ready, but you have to kind of get to know your body. I really believe if you can't have an orgasm or you've never had an orgasm, the number one way to really move in that direction is to figure out how to do that on your own. Because then you don't have the pressure of the other person, the expectations of the other person, the self-consciousness with the other person, whatever else might be there. You learn on your own what feels good, what gets you there. And then you bring that into the relationship with him. I think it's a real mistake that women make. You know, I just have to be with the right guy or with the right, you know, because it's much harder, quite frankly, to reach an orgasm with another person for a woman than it is on her own. And I get that you maybe have some leftover inhibitions or stories about self-stimulation from childhood if you grew up in a religious restrictive relationship with your sexuality. But if you think about self-stimulation, first of all, here's a doctor, you know, albeit a talking doctor, not an MD prescribing it to you, right? And secondly, that this is in service to your sex life with this person, that it's, it's all conditioning to get you ready for orgasms with him. So learn on your own, discover what turns you on, practice with your you know, hands, with toys, with whatever, figure it out on your own, and then bring it into the relationship. I, hope I can do that. That's going right. to be my homework for this evening. That's your homework, Jewel. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so you. much. Bryce Hepworth, yeah. I had more of a question, I mean, more of a comment on what Brandon said. Go but ahead. I feel bad because it's not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> but this is for all the men out there. I swear I've tried every trick in the book. I haven't read Dr. Laura's book. But when I, a woman, before she comes home, a woman, my girlfriend, whoever, I always have the dishwasher running, like right when she walks in the door. <laughs> And I swear it turns a girl on. If you don't go try it to every man, I swear. That's my two cents. That's, That's your little player tip? It's real. <laughs> try it. Thanks, thanks <laughs> for the tip. It's like the women who, who say, you know, because they did a study that men get turned on by the smell of pizza, physiologically turned on by the smell That's of pizza cool. and cut grass. So you put a pizza in the oven and cut the grass before you comes over. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. So anyway, yeah. thank you. I don't want to work in the orgasm mood because that was kind of cool. Devin Brown, I know last time we spoke, we talked about the nuggets of like a long-term relationship and you really were talking about conscious communication Yeah. and the love language. And what I kind of found out a little bit, and I guess maybe you can like talk a little bit about it on really knowing your partner's love language mm-hmm. and having a conversation with both of you, understanding your both love languages, and then using that as a way to conscious communicate. Can, can you okay. dig in a little bit on that? Sure. You know, so I think what you're talking about when you talk about love languages is Gary Chapman's work, which is the five love language, uh, the five love languages. And you can even go online. I think they even have little quizzes or something. You know, I'm sure they he has stuff like that online. But it's basically this idea that everybody has, you know, at least a primary, they may have more, but a primary love language and maybe a secondary one. And they are words of affirmation. So that would be compliments, expressing appreciation, sending texts, telling them you love them, acts of service 
which Billy was talking about with his wife. So that would be, you know, you take their car and fill it with gas. You make them food. You load the dishwasher. You clean up the house. Uh, physical touch, playing with their hair, tickling their back, cuddling, holding hands, obviously physical affection, sexual connection. The fourth one is gifts, you know, so you make the, you give them their favorite treat. It doesn't have to be diamonds and pearls necessarily, but a thoughtful little cute gift on a, you know, on a regular day or presents that match, you know, thoughtful presents that match their interests. And the fifth is quality time. So that really undivided attention, doing projects together, asking about their day, eye contact, you know, giving that undivided focus, turning off your smartphone. So obviously anyone would say all of this is important in a relationship, you know, but we all have different tendencies toward where, you know, how love really lands with us. And more often than not, it has to do with what we got least of in our childhood. Sometimes if we had a really healthy childhood, which is the exception, not the rule, it's what we saw modeled, right? But usually it's what, what holes we're trying to fill that becomes our most, our most accentuated love language. Does that make sense? Right. No, absolutely. It takes it, it's, it makes perfect, perfect sense. So do you think that's a very good when you're dating somebody, that's a really good conversation to have from the beginning? Yeah, I think it doesn't have to be like a litmus test of like does because your love languages don't have to match each other. But I think what's important to recognize and the reason it's valuable to know what each of your love languages are, are is that all of us, if not otherwise aware or advised, tend to love people in the way that we like to be loved. Right. That makes sense. You know, it wouldn't occur to I, you know, however you like to be loved, that's how you're going to tend to love someone else. And it may not land with them if what really makes them feel loved is something like for me, gifts would probably be lowest on my list of if I had to prioritize the love languages, as would acts of service. You know, those aren't really my big ones. But if my partner, if that was really his way, you know, he was giving me gifts all the time you know, but never was cuddling me or spending quality time with me, I wouldn't necessarily feel loved, right? But that's his language of love. So of course, he's going to do that. So that's why it can be really valuable. I wouldn't say it's like a, a dating, like when you first go on a date with someone, you better find out if your language of love matches theirs. It's not about that. It's about creating more connection and, and depth in a relationship and loving your partner in a way that lands and getting some direction on how to do that. I love that. I love that, Dr. Berman. I love that. Okay, now I'm gonna, another question. Since we family, and and I love you, of Dr. Berman. Of course, I love you, Dr. Berman. I, I love you back. So, Go ahead. I love, I love you back. So 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 I feel I feel the safe space with you all the way. So <laughs> I, 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 I feel ahead. like family. I'm opening up like this. So. So I'm, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and ask a question. I'm gonna ask a question. Go, okay. go, you can do it. <laughs> I love it. So okay, so there's there's somebody that I'm dating and. I've never had a threesome before, but uh-huh. they really kind of, they kind of done it before, uh-huh. but they really were like, no, we're not, we're definitely not going to do it because I think when they did it, it was like, you know, it was just like a fun thing, yeah. you know, like, and they were younger and they didn't, they didn't really care about the person it was like, cool. But, like, I kind of want to do it with her. But I know, like, the thought of you with somebody else, like, I would kill you and I would kill you. Yeah, yeah. Well, so why do you want to do it? 
I mean, there's not, that's not a loaded question. I'm just really curious. Like, why, why is it that you want to have, if she doesn't want to, what is it? Is it something that you just really enjoy as a regular experience in your sex life? Is it something that you've always wanted to try and never have done? Like, where does it fit in for you? I've tried. I've had opportunities to do it, but I haven't, I like either like backed out or turned away, turned it down. Mm-hmm. But like, I've always wanted to do it. Okay. And so it's like, so it's like, a, like a thing that I've always wanted to do, but I just never done it. And why with this woman do you want to do it? You know, because, because you've had those opportunities before and wanted to do yeah. it and didn't go through. So why do you want? Why do you think you'll go through this time if she was up for it? Why? Why would it happen this time? It's a certain chemistry, a certain like sexual chemistry and connection I have with her that's like crazy. Mm-hmm. That I've so, never. So you're just so into sex with her. You're thinking, let's try everything sexual yeah. let's really explore sexually and this is on my bucket list of things i'd like to try yeah, yeah. okay all right that makes sense to me so you're not going to be able to do it with her though because she don't want to yeah no. Yeah. So that's the problem, you know, I, I wanted to understand, you know, why, because that's important too for you, right? I mean, look, it's it's in every porn out there. It's a really, it's like probably the most common, you know, male fantasy is having, yeah. you know, a threesome, like, okay, that's totally understandable, but will your life be incomplete if you go through it not having had a threesome? No, no, no. No. So if that's true, I mean, the answer could be yes. I wouldn't judge you. But if that's true, then I would let it go because I can tell you as someone who, you know, has worked with thousands of couples, it never works. I mean, that's why she she doesn't want to do it again because (laughs) it rarely works out. It rarely goes well. It brings up, you know, you have to be, both of you have to be so unbelievably secure, communicative, not a jealous bone in your body, so self-aware, friends with your shadows, so clear in order for it to not be something that brings up insecurities or is he or she still thinking about that person or what are the rules here? You know, and she's making very clear, no, I have no interest in sharing you or watching you, you know, be with someone else. And, if you're going to be with her, you have to accept that. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. No, totally, totally. No, but it I sounds totally. like you have a great, <laughs> robust, varied sex life otherwise. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and by 100%. the way, you're reminding me, I meant to tell you guys that um, Sunday, June 6th, so that's in a few Sundays from now, I am doing a live stream med- meditation for better sex class with Unplug Studios, you know, the meditation studio, Unplug, it's all over the country. So wherever it's at 4.30 Pacific time, but it's a taking your sex life to new heights with meditation, visualization, and, you know, working with your body's energies. So maybe the two of you want to join that class, Devin. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. Comfort like of your own home live stream. So check that out. If you go to the, uh, if you go to unplug.com and look for me, it's uh, June 6th. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely check that out. We'll definitely check that out. And I have one question for you. And that really, it speaks to the the name of your show, which there is the five love languages, which you've already highlighted. But I want to talk about how we talk about sex. And as a married man, I, as I shared earlier, I feel like I'm asking to have sex. Like, hey, can can we make love? Can we have, you know, whatever, whatever that language is. And it, and it varies. 
my natural tendency is to not want to ask at all. I want to just happen naturally. And you've given some great guidance to set some times and create those moments where I, I create it or she creates it. But if I also want to have that more organic time, how can I do that? And secondarily, what, what are your thoughts about the language? How can we, I guess, figure out what the right language is to talk about sex? Cause I'm, I'm still trying to navigate that and it's been 13 years, that, <laughs> you know, so I'm still figuring it out. So any advice yeah. you could give about how I can best like establish what the, the actual love talk looks like? Yeah, well, I think it if, if you're really struggling to figure that out, and a lot of couples do, you just want to have a really calm, explicit conversation. You just want to have a calm, explicit conversation outside the bedroom, away from sex, without any distractions. So it's a conversation about sex that has nothing to do with the two of you technically having sex at that moment, so it's not loaded. And you really just put it on the table. Like, so let me just back up for a minute and and answer the first part of your question. In order to be able to kind of spontaneously fall into sex like you did in the beginning of the relationship, her desire needs to be there. The door needs to be open. And what's happened is that the door hasn't really been open regularly, right? So I think this has to be done in a stepwise progression where first you get in this habit of a weekly door opening by scheduling it, as we talked about. And then once you've done that for two, three, four months and it's going well, then you now have some momentum going in your sex life. And you say to her, listen, one of the things that really makes me feel loved and desired and wanted is when, you know, I can just kind of when I'm looking at you and thinking that you're so gorgeous or I'm so attracted to you that I can just kind of grab you and, you know, not necessarily when it's an inconvenient time, but like when there's an opportunity and just make out with you and it can just sort of happen. And I'm wondering if you would be open to that. And maybe there are parameters when you would be open to that, right? So, you know, maybe it's not any time, but maybe it's like any time on the weekend, right? When I'm not working and busy and trying to do everything for the kid and work and everything else. So you get really specific about what you want, why you want it, and then you strategize together. Because I think if you asked her, not now when sex has been kind of awkward and, and or not, you know, it's it sort of needs to get back running regularly again. But if you were to ask her once sex is running regularly, is it okay with you if I spontaneously initiate sex with you, you know, within the realms of a window of convenient time, you know, not when we're in the middle of making dinner or getting our kids homework done or whatever, you know, she would probably understand that need and want and be fine with it. But these things often, especially if they've gone a little bit off the rails, which they invariably do in long-term relationships, you have to have those explicit conversations. And the same is true about how to talk about sex. You say to her, look, I love you. I want a, a connected, deep, intimate relationship with you physically and emotionally. And I sometimes feel like I don't know how to talk to you about it. Like I'll, I'll say something that maybe hurts your feelings or that offends you. And like, can you really educate me on how you want to talk about this? And if she says, well, what do you mean? Then you give her an example. Well, when I said, I love your ex or whatever, you know, you cringed. Is it that word? Is it the way I said it? Like, how would you want me to say it? So you're kind of interviewing her in a non-confrontational way, in a really curious, open-hearted and loving way where you really want to learn. And I think to your point, doing it at the right time, having that conversation, yeah. not when it's 
when sex is on the table, but no. away from that. And when she's in the right headspace, I'm in the right headspace where it's not a loaded question where I'm looking, I'm angling for sex in the moment. I'm, I'm actually really wanting to understand and in a very calm way, asking those questions. Yeah. I think that, and also I would say for you, Billy, since you alluded to how much she likes romance and the good news is that you like a lot of men when your wife says, you know, or your girlfriend, whoever says I would want more romance. A lot of men say, well, what do you mean? I'm romantic all the time, but she's not feeling it back to that language of love, but you know how to romance her in a way that lands. And if you were to make a sex date every week and you make clear to her as part of this discussion that we are only having for the next three months, my only expectation is that we are only having sex at that time of our sex date. It's off the table the rest of the week. Now, what that does is that opens up the possibilities for sensual connection, which actually really helps women's libidos. So if she knows, let's say she has low desire, low energy, low testosterone, but she knows that on Saturday every week, or, you know, like I said, it could be other days, but just for the sake of the example, Saturday, you have sex every Saturday and the rest of the week, that pressure is off, right? And she doesn't have to think about it. She can reach out to you and be affectionate and cuddly and not worry that you're going to think she wants to get something started and then she'll have to reject you and all of that, first of all. Second of all, then you say to her, look, I want to at least twice a week turn off all the technology, maybe turn on some music and just kiss and cuddle and hold hands and talk and be together just 15 to 30 minutes twice a week without it going anywhere else. Like we are not going to have sex. It's just that. So between the romance and the quality, undivided attention and sex once a week, what I find more often than not is that women's libido will naturally start when they don't have the pressure of the expectation hanging over their heads and they're able to relax into the sensual exchange, their libidos often really spark. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I feel like my own personal sex drive has diminished almost in a self-preservation type of way. Yeah, so, so, I'm, so I'm not disappointed or just like, yeah. you know, and so it's, it's just that. Yeah, right. So I'm not as thinking about it as much or craving it as much because I would say that we're definitely not in bad shape relative to some people who go months and months and months. But, you know, I, I think having that weekly set time will be helpful for both of us. Right. And I think to your point, I think her libido will naturally elevate as well as mine. So really appreciate those insights. Tyra Tyra is an old friend from Chicago. So do you think a relationship is doomed if you have sex too soon? Is it doomed? No, I don't think it's doomed, but I think it can complicate things. It can blind you to some of the red flags, as I often, you know, we've talked about, and it can really attach you sooner than would otherwise. So some of, so you're, you know, you're looking at them through rose-colored glasses that not that you shouldn't look through everyone through rose-colored glasses, but if you're really assessing a good fit for a relationship and a partner who's really going to be in integrity with you and with the way that you want to be loved and loved back, you know, then it can complicate things. But I certainly wouldn't say that it's doomed. I know plenty of people who picked each other up in a bar and have been married for 40 years happily, you know, so there's no right or wrong. But I think in general, if you can wait until you're both really clear that you want to pursue a monogamous, if you're looking for a monogamous relationship, that you want to pursue a monogamous relationship with each other, 
that that at least gives you an opportunity to really get to know each other first, which actually makes the sex better even because there's more trust, there's more connection, there's excitement about the future, there's some real emotional connection. So, Right. Would you say that, you know, it's all relative, but just I've been going, you know, just got out of a long term marriage and, you know, Mm -hmm. going through COVID and not having that social interaction and then meeting somebody and then like hooking up and then realizing, you know, this may be something worth exploring and thinking about, you know, just okay, now how do I want to control it? And and I know it's not about control, but it is well, getting- Well, you could slow it person, down, right? I think I yeah. know what you're asking is like, okay, okay let's, let's pull in the reins a little bit. Yes, yes. And let me get to know you. And I think if you have that conversation with them, listen, you know, obviously I'm really attracted to you, but I think it's really important for me moving forward in my life and also for my future relationship life that I really take my time. So even though we've already had sex and it was great and we know that piece of the, you know, of the puzzle is there, I'm really interested in pushing the pause button on the physical side of our relationship and backing up a little bit and just taking my time getting to know you. And if you really want to flatter him, if, you know, assuming you're not lying by saying this, you could say, listen, you know, when I hooked up with you, I really wasn't thinking about it. I just thought you were hot and I didn't really see, you know, I wasn't thinking about the future or the potential of a future with you. But now that I've gotten to know you, I'm really curious about that, you know, Mm -hmm. and if you're curious about that too, or maybe he's already expressed that, then Mm -hmm. you say, I really want to just push the pause button because I don't want things to be confused. And I really want to take my time getting to know you. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, yeah. The, now the horse is out of the gate. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, galloping. <laughs> and, and that's why I use the word doomed because it's almost yeah. like, okay, too much too soon. So now there's no chance. Or, no, I don't think you know, that's true. And I think yeah. you could keep having yeah. sex, you know, and whatever right. and see what happens. I mean, there's no right or wrong. I think right. for you, you know, since you say you just got out of a marriage and then right, I don't know how long ago you got out of your marriage. But, you know, I think for you, the most important thing is not to jump quickly into a new relationship until you've really taken your time getting steady on your own two feet back in the world. I mean, I know you've been on your own two feet through COVID, but it's a different reality out in the world, you know, operating full throttle and giving yourself chance, a chance to heal and integrate the learning from your last relationship before you get into a new one. So maybe this guy is a rebound, you know, and you're just going to have sex and fun with him and move on. Like who knows what's going to happen. But I, I think the main thing is, is not to try to manage or manipulate it. Just be, it's what I was talking about with this Martha Beck interview, just be in integrity with Mm -hmm. yourself. Don't worry so much about how you're going to manage him or his expectations or anything else. It's like, what feels in integrity for me be clear about that, be kind in your expression of that and honest in your expression of that. And he'll either be able to hang with that or not. Absolutely. That's beautiful advice. Really, really meaningful. And and it's all about values, right? Like sharing values, understanding what your values are so that you can have a great relationship going forward. And I love that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful. Thank you.
was wonderful being with you all. I'm really, I love how so many of you are coming back up and giving us updates or asking follow-up questions. That's so much fun for me. And it's such a, it's such a rare opportunity for me to be able to do that with you. So I, I love that. Make sure to check out the podcast and listen to next week's with Martha Beck and it, sign up for the Meditation for Better Sex live stream at unplug.com. That's June 6th. And we'll be back here next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific to talk some more about love and sex and relationships and whatever else you want. Around.